All righty, we are live. I think we're live. Hopefully we're live. Last time I did this, I did an entire live and I didn't have audio working. So can you hear me, Brendan? I can hear you, Billy. Can you hear me? I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay, so we're doing our first live. Why in the world are we doing this? That's a great question. You know, ever since our clubhouse days, I think there's there's anything I learned from that <laughs> journey. It's really good at working together. And Clubhouse didn't work so well for us since uh, the traction kind of went to zero. So I thought it'd be a fun idea. And you seem to have had the same idea of uh, doing a LinkedIn Live. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited because I've been waiting to do LinkedIn Live since I first got access, which has been about a year. And what's funny about that is I didn't know I had access for months, for months and months and months. And I was actually like, kind of bitter about it. And I, I put out this post all about how like, why don't I have live? I read blah, it. Blah, blah, blah. You read that, it's right? It's a pretty good post. Yeah. Well, and then I realized that I missed the email where they told me I had live. But anyhow, I thought I had been not given live. Apparently I was given live. I just didn't realize it. This is why you need to check your folders where things may go where you may not see them. And so long story short, I had live all along and I only realized it. And I think November, December last year. And then of course, January hits and that's when clubhouse just went crazy. So Liam, Liam uh, spent some time with us on clubhouse. So, so Brendan, something was announced today on clubhouse. What was announced? What are your thoughts on the back channel that was added to clubhouse? Yeah, absolutely, man. I'd love your thoughts on it as well. But what what essentially happened is in the early days of Clubhouse, me and you, when we moderated rooms together and many other mods, is we would have this thing called the back channel. And the reason is because we would have conversations in the rooms, but we didn't want to interrupt each other while the conversation was going on. So we wanted to manage the logistics outside of the room and that is a good question Liam is club still alive I guess we'll stay tuned and find out but yeah so we started creating these things called back channels which are essentially group chats and different social media platforms you can have one on let me just do this you could have one on Instagram you could have one on LinkedIn and then what would happen is with all the moderators you put them all in this group chat and you would coordinate how to speak and how to engage with different people in the rooms. So what's happened with Clubhouse is they realized that, well, a lot of these moderators are spending all this time creating these back channels. So let's just create them or make it embedded into the app. So that's what it is. And my thoughts on it, I think it's a smart move by Clubhouse keeping everything within the app because what's happening now is people are engaging off the app and not going back into it. So what do you think? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting play. They've been planning it for a while, but one thing I did notice is the competitors are already doing it, right? Green Room is already doing it and they would be left behind if they didn't do it. So they, did, they didn't have an option, one, but apparently it was part of their plan all along. One thing though that does stand out to me is I, by default, gained a lot of Instagram followers because that was the only place they could find me. So that's the thing that I think is a little bit potentially... Uh, not good for from a user perspective. Uh, again, it's it's more of a thing where we'll we'll see what happens. It's so brand new, so I don't know exactly. Um, but but I actually have this question for you, and I'm I'm curious if anyone who's uh, 
listening in right now uh, wants to weigh in, but the the one thing that I'm curious about is what will happen over the next several months with Clubhouse as you think about, let's just say the next three to six months, to answer Liam's question, is Clubhouse still alive? Let's start with that. Is it still alive? And if it is still alive, what are the next... The real question is why it took so long to create that back to... Right, exactly. I'm so, I'm so with you, Liam. So, But Brendan, what, what do you think? Give us your three to six month vision of, of what's of what's happening. So yeah, man, I, I think for me, to Liam's point, I, I think what we noticed is the founders didn't launch the features fast enough to meet the uptick in the user base early. So what happened is it's kind of like having a, a half-baked product, but then having a bunch of people jumping into the store and realizing that everything in the store isn't that really good. So they leave the store, right? So it's kind of like you go into a bakery and the, everything's going to be ready in 30 minutes, but everyone comes in 30 minutes before. They go, well, oh, I guess nothing's ready yet. So they go and go buy their their food somewhere else. So it doesn't really work that well. And so that's what happened with Clubhouse is even if they're prioritizing different features, they didn't make them. They weren't fast enough to get to those features. And that's the challenge. So now what does that tell us about the platform? So a couple of things. We've definitely seen the user base go down. That's for sure. I mean, we're off Clubhouse and many other people are too. But what we've also- By the way, by the way, Brendan is all in on LinkedIn. So if you're not currently following Brendan- or connected to him, connect to him and with him. And I'm about to make like a ton of intros to some amazing people that I've got a chance to get to know. So sidebar there, but uh, you're going to absolutely crush it here. I'm excited that you're on LinkedIn and doing all the things you're doing. But anyway, c- carry on with your thoughts. Dude, likewise, man. I mean, for those of you, I'm sure all of you are already following Billy, but uh, this this dynamic duo is a duo for a reason. I'm, I'm only one half of the equation, man. So it's going to be fun to see what we do together on the app. And on this platform, especially taking taking our success from Clubhouse into LinkedIn, I guess we'll see what happens. But yeah, man. So so I guess for me, what what we also notice on the positive side is the bakery wasn't ready for the Americans. It wasn't ready for the Canadians or the Europeans, but the bakery was ready for the Asians. So when Malaysia started coming on a lot more, India, we've seen a huge uptick in India. We've seen Taiwan, Thailand, a lot of these. Asian countries, where those countries are primarily driven with Android devices rather than iPhones, those people have started jumping onto the app and they've been very, they've been very consistent on the app. So what does this say? The The way that I see this, I think it's dead for a different type of audience. So if you think about the Western society in general, because the opportunity cost, so opportunity cost just means what are you giving up to spend time on an app? Because we're training our time, let's say an American's in the room, they're saying, why am I in this room for three hours? I could just go and spend money and hire Billy, or I could just go work another job and make 50 bucks an hour. Whereas the person in India says, wait a second, the opportunity cost of my time is not as high. So I can use this app. I can spend more time on it, especially with COVID still being rampant in India. I can spend more time on the app and get my questions answered from people I didn't have access to before. So I definitely think in the future, uh, what I will see, and I'd love your thoughts on this too, but what I think Clubhouse will ultimately be is will be primarily uh, people within the the Apex region, so Asia Pacific, where the opportunity cost of their time is much lower than someone in Western society. Interesting. Yeah, 
I think there's some truth there because you do think about, okay, opportunity costs of my time. If I'm going to put my time here, for example, Clubhouse, if we're talking about that, two hours, three hours, four hours, you, you have some value that you place on your time. And, and that could be $50. It could be $500 an hour. It could be $5,000 an hour. And so what you have to then really look at is where am I getting the value for the time that I'm spending? And this is true with anything, not just Clubhouse. It's LinkedIn. It's any, any effort that you're putting into any activity should be evaluated. This is why I, <laughs> this is kind of off topic, but I, I often think about some of the household tasks that take up a lot of time. You know, laundry, for example, it's like, and there, and there are companies out there that are doing service, full service laundry. I mean, we spend a staggering amount of time doing things that, frankly, if we're really being honest with it, it's probably not the best use of, of our time. And, and obviously, everyone's situation is different. And I, I'm not saying that everyone should have laundry service or anything like that. But I do think it's important to take stock, to take inventory of our time in a really thoughtful way and to really figure out because that is the one resource that we can't replenish. We can't take any of the time that's sifted past us and, and get it back. It's gone. But we can look forward and think about how are we allocating what activities we're doing and the time it takes to do those activities. And so to your point, that could in a very real way affect which users are active on the platform. Now, I'm not certain that it will be a APAC specific app. I, I, that I'm not as, as confident maybe as you are, um, but, but who knows? I, I think, and I'm super curious, uh, what will happen if that happens? And, and, and by virtue of that happening, how will others respond that aren't in the APAC regions? Um, that, that I don't know. So, as we, as we reflect and think about the, this change and this evolution happening, what about all the other players? And is there a consolidation that happens? Is there acquisitions? Like does Clubhouse get bought at some point? And they've already, it's been, I think, pretty much confirmed that they turned down $4 billion from Twitter. Now, do you think they're regretting that? And going back to the initial part of this question, how does this whole thing shake out from a consolidation standpoint? Yeah, absolutely, man. So so the way that I see things, and you're definitely on the money with that question, is what I think most people don't get with social audio, you know, whether LinkedIn has a feature like this in the future, we've seen Clubhouse, we've seen Spotify Green Room, we've seen Twitter Spaces, is that the, the opportunity cost, the trade is very different than other social media platforms. Because let's say you're on YouTube, you don't really need to spend 10 hours a week on YouTube. You just record a video, you record a few, your team, if, if you have the, the resources to do it, going back to time and how you leverage it, somebody else creates the content for you. LinkedIn's actually a great example. I don't really create that much content on LinkedIn, even if I post daily. Why is that? Because I repurpose 100% of my YouTube content that's a lot more detailed, and then I shorten it up to different LinkedIn posts. So it doesn't take that much time for me. So for me, it's like, wow, yeah, I can absolutely post daily on LinkedIn. It's not a hassle at all. So I can spend most of my time having fun like this on a live 
or just engaging in the comments and meeting other cool people in the community and really taking those relationships off platform. But the challenge with social audio, especially Clubhouse Billy, and you know this of all people, you're trading your time. And when we started on the app, we're trading a lot of time. But what the founders are still haven't grasped is that opportunity cost is huge. Because let's say you're a big influencer. Let's say you're a Gary V. If, 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 the, if the option is between LinkedIn and YouTube, you're going to pick both because you have a team you can leverage for both. You just spend some time recording videos and you're done. There is no decision to make. But if you're choosing to spend time on Clubhouse, especially if you're a Gary Vee, a Grant Cardone, pick insert influencer here, Brene Brown, mm. you're actually saying that I'm going to spend an hour on this app instead of getting paid X number of dollars to give a keynote, going to a speaking engagement. I know we talked about right. that, right? The experience around what are we giving up for our time and the time of some of the best moderators on this app is a lot more valuable than what the founders of Clubhouse actually think. Because option A is saying, do I sit alone in my basement for three hours with Billy and or some other influencer or anybody and, and record this Clubhouse room where there's maybe 10 people, 20 people, 30 people? Or do I fly out to an event, get paid $5,000 to deliver the keynote, meet all of these incredible people in so-called real life, and get all these gifts, get all this attention, and get recognized for the work I do? That's a very difficult balance that Paul and Rohan have to navigate through. Yeah, such a great point, as always. You see fewer and fewer instances of the, the Lewis Howes of the world spending their time on Clubhouse directly because of what you've just said. You cannot outsource being on Clubhouse. Perhaps you could have somebody be in a room with a phone, a burner phone or something like that, that, that like, for whatever reason, but I don't, I don't think any of those guys would ever get any value for doing that. So if they're going to be there, I think they're going to do more like what Chris Doe is doing, which is he's repurposing that content and he's using it as an opportunity to help and support his community by giving them really the, the, the light, the spotlight to, to shine. And I really appreciate that about Chris, the fact that he, his, his mission is audacious, right? To influence and impact a billion people, helping them do what they want to do from a creative standpoint, make a living while not losing their soul in the process. And because of that, he's now finding that this platform, when I say this platform, Clubhouse, is giving that really visibility that they may not otherwise get. Now, it's, it's ironic that you're taking YouTube content and repurposing it to be LinkedIn content. Meanwhile, I just recorded my 71st YouTube video, all based on LinkedIn content that I created last year. So we're, we're switching roles. And so I have my team editing those. But to your point, because I have all this content and because I have a team, I'm now able to quickly record. I'll do four or five videos, sometimes 10 videos in a day. I'll send that over to my team and they're editing them. And so it allows, and I, I know I have a unique situation because I have a team that can do this. But point being is you can hire somebody to do some of those things, but you can't hire somebody to do those things on Clubhouse. So now Liam brings up a, a great point that Spotify, Twitter, Facebook, they built their entire product 
before Clubhouse could create a back channel or really develop the monetization feature. The monetization feature at this point is very basic. It doesn't involve a subscription model or anything like that. So is, and he, he brings up another cool point, which is, wouldn't it be great if we could invite him up? I, guess, I suppose we could invite him into the combo, but it's not as effortless as it would be on Clubhouse, just where it raise your hand. So I, for one, would be a fan of Clubhouse becoming a LinkedIn feature. But if that happened, what what would that mean to the users? Do you think it would be a good thing? And do you think it's possible? Lots of interesting points there, Billy. Let's start with this. Let's start with the first point that you elaborated on so well, which is the idea of incentives, right? When we're incentivized in the right way, we create more content. So you said you looked at your team. You said, hey, wait a second. I could leverage all the content I have on LinkedIn, put it on YouTube, not a huge investment of my time. So my incentive is aligned. But when we think about the incentive of being on Clubhouse, that incentive in December, which was what, seven months ago, was huge. You would meet all these brand new people. It was a really hot app. You had a bunch of traction. Everyone is locked in their basement pretty much with nothing else to do. Just because you're in your basement doesn't mean everybody's in a basement. Fair I'm enough. in my garage. That's, that's, <laughs> it's, basically, it's basically the same thing. T- t- take your pick. Garage, basement, mansion. It's all good. But yeah, so, so you're locked in your house or apartment or cottage. And you don't really have that much alternatives, right? So your incentive to be on the app is high. And the person creating the content's incentive is really high because we get to meet people like Liam. We get to meet people like Matthew Storm. We get to meet all of these exciting individuals. But then over time, that incentive goes down, especially with Clubhouse, because the best content creators aren't incentivized in the right way to stay because they're trading their most valuable asset, which is their time, which can be traded to the example we gave, we talked about before, thousands of dollars an hour, lots of recognition, lots of brand awareness. That opportunity cost for the best of the best becomes right pretty much nil. So now when we think about that, let's think about this too, right? LinkedIn Live. Why do we make the decisions to start live? We looked at the numbers. We noticed that, wait a second, there's only 24, 2,500 people who have this functionality probably just, it's a, it's a guesstimate. There's no uh, official numbers, everyone who's listening. But I would it, wonder if Liam Liam has the, that fact though. That'd be amazing. We, we asked around like what, how many people have access to LinkedIn Live? Do and maybe we have no way of knowing, but we'd be curious if Liam, if he's still listening, if he uh, if he has a thought on how many people have access. But but carry on. I like where you're going. Yeah, I'd be I'd be super curious as well. And you know where I got my info from. I mean, he said he was a guest too, so it's not a word of God or anything. But Kevin D. Turner is probably one of the most well known thought leaders on LinkedIn, and most people told me he knew the most about LinkedIn. So I asked him, I said, what do you think? He said, well, when I looked up LinkedIn Live, I noticed that there was five or 600 people in his third level connection. He has 25% of the network. So I said, well, if you multiply that before, it's around 2,500 to 3,000. But because it's so complicated to get access to LinkedIn Live, most people I know, and you probably know more about this than I do, have to go through like, like all these applications. You have to apply like 15 times, 20 times, and then you get it. But this also creates a very heavy incentive for people who do have access to it like you and that I get, I guess, the benefit of, which is we can create content where the demand is higher than the supply, right? The demand for that content on LinkedIn specifically is much higher than the supply of content creators. So we're incentivized to create content on LinkedIn Live. That's not the same with, let's say, Facebook Live because Facebook is a lot of people who go live. So it's not pushing it 
as much. Exactly. Liam, such such a great point. I suspect that even 100% of LinkedIn, even if 100% of LinkedIn had mm. live. And what's important about Liam's point, it's that 1% is actually people who create content, period. So that could be text posts, that could be video. So what percentage of that 1% is going to go live? Very low. It's the same principle that exists when you think of 100 million active, I think it's monthly, maybe it's weekly users. And that number is, I think, probably a year old. But of that 100 million who are quote unquote active users, right? If there's 700 plus million people on the platform and their goal, LinkedIn slash Microsoft's goal is to take that to 3 billion people, we're nowhere even near where we're going to be in years down the road. But there's 700 million people that are on the platform plus 100 plus million active users, but only three to five million are active users who are posting. And so to Liam's point, which is even if everybody had access to LinkedIn Live, only a small percentage, he says 1% would actually use it. He's he's part of the 1%. I'm so glad Liam's here. I, uh, I'm like I've been actually thinking about you a lot, Liam, and be, because I don't I haven't seen you or talked to you a bit. You know, it's just like we were we hung out more often on Clubhouse, but because you know I haven't even been on that much, and I know you haven't either. So um, yeah, it's good that it's good that you're here in the in the room. You got you got to join us up here at some point. Um, so I, and I think I could send you an invite. And I just I don't even know how this whole thing works. I I know I could send an invite anyway, but uh, but just <laughs> if you want to jump up, send me a note. Um, anyhow, carry, carry on with your thought on that, Brendan. No, you're absolutely correct. Right. So when we think about the supply and demand, Liam brought up some great points there. When we examine that supply and demand clubhouse was the same thing. The the demand for content was extremely high. Not that many content creators, right? People are very scared to moderate rooms. Most people were doing it alone would burn out. Maybe three people would enter a room. Whereas me and you or other people like us, we, we teamed up where we played team. We started supporting other moderators and it became really fun for us, but it also created this competitive moat where it was really hard to create content in the early days while everyone was still trying to figure it out. But now six months later, everyone's figured it out pretty much. But the other thing is the supply of content's going up, but the demand for content is going down. So now the incentive, like think about it today. It's so much harder to get 10,000 on Clubhouse than it used to be. Why is that? Because the demand for content has gone down dramatically. So the point I really want to drive here, and what does this tell us about the future of Clubhouse or the future of any social media, is the creator will always do what selfishly benefits them. So the founders need to understand those selfish incentives in a good way so that they can support the creator in a way that incentivizes them to create content. Think of think of TikTok. Why did it blow up? And why does it continue to blow up? Mm-hmm. It blows up and continues to blow up. And I'd love your thoughts on this too. But my take is because, well, even if you have one follower on TikTok, the algorithm doesn't care. They only care about whether your content's good. And if it's good, they'll just keep bringing it to other people. So even if I'm new to TikTok and I got zero followers, let's say, which is pretty much the case, and but if I create good stuff, I can easily blow. I know people who had zero TikTok followers last month who are doing 25,000, 50,000 followers now. Because, and the TikTok content is a lot easier to make. It's like 30 seconds, 60 seconds. It's super easy for someone to hire this out and bring the content in. 
So it's in the selfish benefit of the creator to create content. But the problem with social audio is Paul and Rohan aren't thinking about, well, what is the opportunity cost of Billy's time? Well, Billy could be speaking at an engagement. He could be running a big business. I should really keep that in mind when I'm asking him to spend three hours of his precious time to moderate a room. They're not having those types of conversations. And I, th- I think that's why social audio is going to lose. Well, that's an interesting point. I, I want to uh, hold on that last line because I do want to revisit that. But one thing that I do want to tap into it, in a word is algorithm. And specifically, as we think about the algorithm in YouTube and in TikTok, it's very different than the, frankly, lack of an algorithm that exists in instant audio, right? Social instant audio. It's the difference between like asynchronous and synchronous um, style, right? When you're when you're live, you don't know what you're going to get. But when you can feed people content that you know they'll like, and you can keep feeding them that content to keep them engaged, that's why YouTube is the juggernaut that it is. That's why TikTok is the new kid on the block. That's, I mean. Cat, our my my our mutual friend and my business partner, Cat Shanu, she just had I don't know if you know this, her video just went viral, seven hundred fifty thousand views in a day. So I mean, that to, and she she would have no way of knowing that particular video would go viral, although she's been studying and you know she's a student of the game, so she's learning what will help influence the trajectory of her videos, but. That video took her two minutes to make. And she gets 750,000 people who watch it, thousands upon thousands of comments. And so you're, you're just in a place to get that much more traction. Now, going back to your point on social audio, that, that part I don't know. Will it die and, and how will it die? I don't know because I think people want it. So maybe it's just maybe it's just not what it is what we thought it would be. Um, but I, but, but you're saying it's dead. When you say dead, do you mean like gone completely eventually? It's just going to fizzle out. And what are we talking in terms of length of time? Right. That, that's a good clarification point. So it's probably not going to die in the sense that nobody in the world is going to use it. But I definitely believe that the same importance that we placed on social audio in December of 2020 during COVID or before COVID came to an end, is never going to come back. And, and the reason is because, going back to incentives, now let's talk about the incentive from the audience's perspective, the person who's actually listening to these clubhouse rooms, the person who's actually a part of the conversation, but not really talking or has a relationship with the other content creators. That individual, in December, in October, in November, during COVID, makes sense for them to be on clubhouse especially if they live alone. like what? There's not that many options. The alternatives for their time is very limited. So for the people in that population who want to interact with other people, want to meet new people, Clubhouse is pretty much the best way to do that, especially in the early days. Even if you weren't a moderator, you jump up on stage, especially in a room that's hosted by you, then you're like, whoa, hi, super nice to meet you, super welcoming. So we get to build a relationship with you and all the other incredible moderators. It's a fun time. But now, 
the alternatives have changed. The cards on the board are different. We realize six months later, there's a lot more cards on the board. Now it's not just, should I stay home alone and listen to Clubhouse? Or do I go out into the real world and meet our friends, meet people around us? I mean, we're a great example of this. We've been collaborating for seven months. We've never met in person. So the day that I come visit you, are we going to sit down for seven hours and go, do you want to host a clubhouse room together? No. We're going to go out and eat some rum. We're going to have a nice time. (laughs) We're not going to be on social media. And that's the point I want to drive. The real world is a threat to social audio to what it used to be, which is an interesting thought because real life is making these relationships more intimate, but it's also leading us off the platform and just into real life. And we don't want to go back to the platform. So, And that's an interesting difference that people need to keep in mind. So now what happens to social audio? Social audio still remains as a feature, but it doesn't have the same community it did because the members of those communities are, because frequency is the most important part of community, that frequency will start to go down a lot because we're trading our time constantly, constantly, constantly. And we want to instead build community that is more in person, that is more intimate, and we're going to start losing the ability or rather the willingness to start building community uh, on, on a social audio app, especially all over again for the people who have been frequent on Clubhouse since the beginning. Mm. Well, okay. So as you're talking, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, regardless of where it will go, what did I gain from being on the platform? And as I'm thinking this, Liam says, true, false, your experience and success on Clubhouse gave you more confidence to have this conversation live on video. And, and I don't know if he's reading my mind, but I, I've, I've been a speaker. I've been in front of rooms for years, for 25 plus years. I mean, since I was 19 years old, I was speaking live on stage. I've ran large training organizations. I've spoke to thousands of people live. But, and this is a really important but, I gained more confidence in the last six months than I gained in the entire 25 years before that. Because you talk about frequency and consistency, when you show up day after day, and when you get the reinforcement of positive affirmation from others and positive feedback, it, it, it does put wind in your sail and remind you, in my case, I'm speaking to myself, remind me that I, you know, I'm not bad. I'm okay at this communication thing. And you're a communication expert. So I'm curious if you feel your own confidence has accelerated. I've, I've learned a lot about me too because, because of you mostly and because of our willingness as friends to be able to say, hey, I think your tone was a little harsh right there. Or maybe you could slow down. Or maybe this or maybe that. And so we're now fine-tuning the nuance of communication in a way that we maybe otherwise wouldn't because we feel comfortable enough with each other to give each other feedback. And we're doing it so much that we're able to implement that feedback in basically real time. <laughs> so, I mean, Liam, you're spot on and, and so with you on what you've said. I mean, we, we could do it. No problem. Both of us if Clubhouse never existed, we could do this and we would be fine. But I think our comfort level is 
markedly higher as a result of that experience. And our comfort level with each other is, you know, you, it's a factor of, of, of a lot, right? It's much, much greater. And I think the synergy between us is much, much greater. So I'm curious from, uh, from your point, Brendan, as somebody that you've done, for those who don't know your past, you've done case competitions, which is really, it's like a playground for speakers and a playground for people who want to challenge themselves to share information to high level people in a way that will yield their approval. Because basically what you did is you brought in some of the best and most important business leaders in the world and you had to pitch them on ideas. And it was a competition between you and other groups of speakers. And you were like the head of, of, of some of these case competition groups. So you're going to be humble about this, but I'm curious, despite having all that experience, how has Clubhouse done for you what I've just described it's done for me? Right. Absolutely, Billy. And a lot of the things you said, I completely agree with, especially the point about comfort with each other. What's interesting, the approach we took as moderators since we were a duo, is we always kept one-upping each other in a healthy way where it was, oh, I want to be better than the last time. And then you say, I want to be better from the last time. But what's been fascinating for me, and I would even add to your frequency point, not even day after day, hour after hour, in your case, you're just hour after hour always on Clubhouse, is it allows you to discover a new type of communication that didn't really exist before. Because what's interesting about Clubhouse is you're managing a conversation between 20, 25 people that you don't actually see and you've never met in your life. Because prior to that, if you're on a Zoom call, you're, you're moderating a session, but you'll see everyone on the Zoom call. Or if you're in person, you're moderating a discussion in a classroom, you can see everybody, you can talk to them. But on Clubhouse, you also have to moderate without knowing who they are, their faces, and you have to make sure they don't interrupt each other. So it's a very different type of flow that you need as a moderator where you have to say something like, oh, Liam, I'd love to hear from you, and then Mario, and then Matthew, and then, and then you. So notice how I'm, I'm purposefully naming all of these individual people. I learned that from Clubhouse because since I felt, and you felt the same way, that a lot of people in the audience didn't feel seen, heard, or understood because they never really were on stage, me and you did something different where we would name, and we see a lot of moderators do that today where we name everyone else in the room. We go, hey, it's great to see you, even if you don't have time to come come up on stage or you might be cooking or something. We really appreciate you being there. That piece of communication was definitely something I refined as a moderator. The other piece as well as a communicator is the, the ability to multitask different areas of communication at the same time. Because we weren't just running a room, and by we, I mean you, really, but we were also managing a team of other moderators and communicating with them, having a discussion with them, building teams, and also going into other clubhouse rooms and scouting other talent like Matthew Storm to do our moderation. Totally team. was just thinking about him. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not just one area of communication that clubhouse has provided for us. It's, it's seven different communication styles that are then meshed together into a very unique way where you have to create this very inspiring conversation 
where nobody interrupts each other, that you're able to throw the mic off and get everyone to speak equally and include everyone in the same room and manage a back channel with all these other moderators and making sure that we're incentivizing them to stay in our rooms or else our rooms will start dropping. So it's that ability to manage the leadership skills and the combination of how to communicate effectively across all of those levels that we got from Clubhouse. And that definitely played into everything else I did for sure. And I'm sure for you as well. Mm, Yeah, really interesting perspective. When I think of sort of the parting gifts, and and I'm not saying I'm done with Clubhouse by any means, I'm still going to be active as long as it's there because I have some rooms that, that I really enjoy doing that are very specific and scheduled. It's less like it was where we do sort of an ad hoc room about this or that. Um, But I feel like there's three big things that I gained. Number one, by far, is relationships. Matt Storm is a perfect example. Chris Doe is an example. And and part of the relationships, to take it a step further, is access. Because I know it would be more difficult to gain access to certain people. They, They may or may not choose to interact with me if they didn't get an opportunity to hear me in a room. Like I got a message from Chris Doe that he he liked my moderation style, which led to a conversation, led to him coming on the show, led to me interviewing him on Breakfast with Champions. And now we have, you know, an ongoing, I would say, you know, beginnings of a a, a friendship in a way. And, And I respect him deeply. And there's others like him. So that's one big bucket. The other big bucket is the personal growth, which is the practice that that happened as a result of doing this and and gaining this um chance to continuously develop myself which we've already talked about that but then the last piece is exposure meaning more people know who I am and what I'm doing because of my activity on Clubhouse so those last two things no one could take that away from me. I've gained followers on Instagram. I've gained more visibility. My podcast numbers have more than tripled as a result. And, you know, and my confidence, all those things. But the access and the access piece won't go away and the relationships don't go away of what I've built. But I won't if I'm not as active as I was. And if the people who I quote unquote want access to aren't on the platform, the the heyday, so to speak, of access is is lower than what it was. So I'm curious as you reflect and you think about, okay, one of the benefits of this platform is that you get to meet amazing people. What ideas, suggestions, advice do you have for me, for you, for anybody that wants to continue to meet people? We say and we hear your network is your net worth and that saying exists for a reason because people do contribute to your mindset, your belief system, the way in which you approach your life. And so when you do get access to great and exceptional human beings, you yourself feed off of that. So what suggestion would you have to keep that in the, in in mind and, and where can we find more of that? Because that I feel like is the biggest thing that I am I'm missing right now that I, I wish we could still have those days. You know what I mean? Absolutely, man. I mean, I miss those days too. They were they were definitely amazing. I mean, every day you get on the app, you meet someone really amazing, and it, and it, it was worth. I mean, Candace Cameron came into our room. 
that's, that's, that's pretty crazy. She did her bio and then she never came back on the app. <laughs> yeah, she, for those who don't know who are and Brendan didn't know who she was, I don't think either, but she was on a, on a show called Full House, which was uh, when I was a kid, it was a popular show. And then now they have Fuller House. But um, anyway, she, she did come into our bio room. So. <laughs> yeah, that was the only time she came, I think. Yeah, I think that was the only appearance. And that was only because Amy Purdy was in the room and then she she jumped in. But yeah, no, it's 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 crazy when we think, you know, as we reflect on this, A, isn't it crazy all that happened? And B, isn't it even crazier that it only happened within the span of seven months? Like it wasn't like a seven year thing. Dude, it seems Just, like seven years. It really does for the number of hours we put in. But yeah, man, to, to the point about access, I think what I would say is most people don't leverage the power of introductions enough from their own network. Think about us. Somebody introduced us to each other. It wasn't by by luck or chance. I mean, some of it was luck because I guessed it on Sam's podcast after pitching 200 others. But if he never made that introduction, none of this would have happened. We never We wouldn't be on this live. We wouldn't have done Clubhouse. I don't even know if we would have met which is super interesting. So my advice to all of you who are still listening for some reason is to make a list of the top 10 most interesting people you know in your network. And then what I want you to do is introduce those people to each other. So interesting doesn't mean money or status. It just means interesting to you. So Billy is one of the top 10 in my top 10. So what I do with him is I introduce him to all my other top 10 people and then he introduces me to other cool people he knows. And every time it's an intro from Billy, the person on the other side of the Zoom call is always phenomenal. But all of us have those golden gems in our network. But we don't leverage it enough. Even for LinkedIn. I don't know that many people on LinkedIn. So Billy has been a big facilitator in making those intros. But then when I talk to those people, I go, hey, can you introduce me to somebody else? But I do the same thing for them. Interesting people know interesting people so the more interesting people you know and the more you ask them for introduction not for business just to connect just to engage just to help you will end up with a really powerful network Mm, it's such a great tip and one that i've heard you share before and every time it reminds me of the power that already exists within the my current network and i also reminds me of some advice that i got from jordan harbinger when I interviewed him, and if you look, he's got an amazing course, a mini course on networking. But one of the things he talks about is reestablishing dormant ties. So these are acquaintances and old work colleagues and people that you maybe haven't talked to as much. You know, when you look at your phone and you look at the text messages and you scroll back to like, you know, a few years back, those are the people who you haven't talked to in a while, he advocates, and I think this is a great strategy, to reconnect with them, but not reconnect with them in a way that they are fearful that you're after something. Because I think if you haven't heard from somebody in a long time, chances are they're gonna their spidey sense is going to tell them uh, he must need something, want something like that. So you have to ease back in. Say, hey, I'm just checking in. I was thinking about you. Would love to hear what's going on in your world. Uh, it's been a long time. No rush. The key is no rush getting back to me because then they realize you're not in need of something. You're not asking for something. It's just reconnecting. And to your point about writing down this list of the 10 people in your life, there could be people not that you're talking to on a regular basis now, 
but that if you were to connect with them, you never know what opportunities may present themselves by a simple text. I, I recently did this because I was, I was, uh, I had a big Fourth of July party, and so I was going through my text messages, and there were a lot of people that I hadn't talked to in a while. I was like, "Hey, just checking in, seeing how you're doing." Blah blah blah. So now I have like, I'm gonna go meet somebody for ramen. Any excuse I can have to go eat ramen, I'm gonna take it. But I'm connecting with people that I haven't talked to in a long time, and so. I think a big, big catalyst to meeting people, to your point, is through the people you already know. And so you, I, I want to I talk a little bit about your time and your, what you're deciding to do now, which is be super active on LinkedIn. You have a YouTube channel. It's Master Talk. For those who have not yet subscribed to your YouTube channel, go check it out. And you put out some amazing videos on public speaking, on communication. And of course, you're, you're, you're not only doing that on YouTube, but you're also helping people uh, through coaching and other things. And so I'm curious, as you think about your own time allocation and you think about why you're spending time on LinkedIn and why it's so important to you now, can you share for those who are perhaps curious about, hey, what's, what's the reason that you're now becoming active on LinkedIn? And maybe you could tell a little bit about your transition into your, what you're currently doing full time and away from what you were doing. And we'll probably wrap up in about 10 minutes here. So um, we'd love for you to share that. And then uh, we'll, we'll do a couple other final things before we conclude. Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, let me be honest and upfront when I say LinkedIn was a huge miss for me. Like I should have been on the platform since I started Master Talk, which was in January, 2019. And the only reason I didn't, frankly, is because I had a corporate job. I had a great, amazing job in technology. I was a consultant. So I didn't want that brand to conflict with what I was doing on the side. That's why I never created content on LinkedIn. Or else I would have went crazy on LinkedIn. And the reason is because the arbitrage is so good on LinkedIn. Even today, like a lot of people, I've noticed a lot of people's posts that organic reaches down and all that stuff. But I'm, I, I think it's amazing. Like when I look at my YouTube views and I compare it to what I got in, uh, on uh, LinkedIn, some, I could just make a post and just make it like for like five minutes and it gets a thousand views. I'm like, oh my God, the, the amount of reach here is insane. And the community here is also very interesting where most people are business professionals. The average income is much higher and all that cool stuff. But I would say the big reason for LinkedIn at the end of the day is it's great for business building and it's also great for brand building if you're a thought leadership on education. So it's a good way for you to expand. And since I started on YouTube, which in my opinion is the hardest platform to create on across all social media, it's a lot easier to go from a YouTube creator to any other social. So if I jump into TikTok, if I jump into LinkedIn, if I jump into Instagram, it becomes infinitely easier for me to create content because I'm used to doing full scripts for like 1500 words and then doing a full like production set, cutting my hair, putting a suit on, <laughs> getting sitting down, like doing like, like six hour shoots. This is like a bit, like a big thing. And then we record like five, six videos too. Oh, I just write it and I post it and it gets me a thousand views. This is like way more than I'm getting on YouTube. <laughs> so, so it's a different dynamic, Billy. So, so I think what I would say is, you know, it's all, life is all about prioritization. 
And I think for the goals that you have, you want to make sure that you're prioritizing your content strategy in a way that's leading to the outcomes that you want. But more specifically, that you're prioritizing one social at a time and making sure that you're guaranteed to win at one. John Esperian talks a lot that, about that a lot in Content DNA, where he says that, hey, I'm not, I'm not that well followed on any other app, but on LinkedIn, I'm very dominant. So I pick the one that I really want to do well in. And for me, it was YouTube. Because no one was really creating content in my niche on that platform. And long form wins over time on YouTube if you have really good stuff. And over two to five years. And we've seen that played out to a certain extent with me. But what I'm saying is now that we've dominate one platform, when we then use that leverage to then grow all the other socials. So that would be my take and why I'm super serious on LinkedIn now that I've optimized YouTube. Yeah. Well, welcome officially to your uh, newfound passion and interest in being active here on LinkedIn. Uh, We are streaming on YouTube, on LinkedIn, I think on Twitch as well and Facebook. So, uh, but I'm sure that probably the bulk of our community will, will be on LinkedIn. And, and so as we wrap up here, a couple of things come to mind that I think are really important as parting words. And one is that this this is an experiment. We don't know what our we do not we're not coming in with a massive like hey this is what we're our plan for this. I'll just be super blunt about it. But we we do know is we enjoy having real conversations, and so we're super open to hear from you if you have ideas, topics you want us to talk about. I'll tell you what interests us. Interests uh, we love entrepreneurship. We love talking about things like like we talked about tonight, about social media, about business building tools, about ways to communicate. We love talking about trends in business and in life. And so if you have something that you want to hear us talk about, if you have an idea for a topic, feel free to send either of us a DM or put it in the comments and let us know. Um, You know, in in closing, Brendan, one of the things that I'm um, curious about is because podcasting um, is is a medium that in a lot of ways is, if you compare it to say blogging or YouTube or any of these, it's still in its, its infancy. And it, it, I mean, even though technically podcasting has been around longer than YouTube, I uh, comparatively, how many active podcasts there are, I mean, even though there's 2 million podcasts, only about a quarter million are active. When you compare that to the active YouTubers or the active people on Instagram or the active people, even here on LinkedIn, it's, it's a small, small number. And so while we didn't talk much about podcasting today, I'm curious as you look at the landscape of all the ways we can communicate, whether that be YouTube or Instagram or whoever, um, what, what I'm hearing, what I... I guess my instincts tell me is watch the crowd go in the opposite direction. So in light of that, what are some ways as, as a final framework or tip for somebody that does want to be heard? They want to plant their flag of authority and they want their brand to be visible to other people. How can they watch the crowd and go in the opposite direction or put themselves in position to be heard more broadly? What, what advice would you give them if they're just starting out? Because you just said that you, you should have been on LinkedIn earlier. And we can always look back and micromanage shoulda, coulda, woulda. But we can also learn from other people and their experience. So if you were starting out today, or you were going to advise somebody that's starting out today, 
or if you were starting out today and you could advise yourself, like what would you tell yourself? Hey, do this. Um, I'll let you take it any way you want, but what would be the platforms that you would strongly suggest using? Absolutely, man. You know, for me, the biggest piece of advice to to make things simple is think about your personal brand across 10 years, not 10 hours or 10 days or 10 weeks or even 10 months. And most content creators make the mistake of thinking about their brand in the next year. Oh, oh, let me get this uh, LinkedIn content together. Let me get this TikTok and they'll be TikTok famous. They don't really think about who they want to be in 10 years. What do they want to stand for? What do they? What are their values? What are their brand values? What do they want to do? And more importantly, what impact they want to make. And the problem, Billy, is when we don't do that, we get inconsistent. Oh, I missed a week. It's okay. We'll get them next time. Oh, I missed three weeks. Oh, you know, I'm going to take a three-month vacation. So we lose the motivation to create because our motivation isn't intrinsic, it's extrinsic. So we need to focus first on what do we want the brand to be in 10 years? That's part number one. Part number two is then making a list of three people, five people, keep it simple with three, of brands that you really admire in your industry. Like for me, when I started, it was people like Graham Stephan, who had an amazing YouTube channel on finance. It was Lewis Howes in the way that he drove interaction interview styles and created phenomenal thought leadership through other people's knowledge, through other people's expertise that I thought was interesting. And it was people like Scott Harrison, people who were communicating for impact to make a difference. And so these are the models that I looked at. So I looked at these three people and I just, or other, I I probably looked at more, but let's just say three people. And I say, what platforms are these people dominant on? And what are the one or two platforms that really made them successful? Because each of them has something dominant. Like with Gary Vee, at the end of the day, it was Twitter and it was YouTube. Those are really the two big ones for him, mostly Twitter. And then that converted to YouTube. For Lewis, it was the podcast, of course. And he was really early. And for Scott, it was leveraging other people's audiences to build his own personal brand. So everyone had their own direction. And then through that, then the third step is saying, which platform can I for sure say that I can win on? So what does that mean? That means self-awareness. That means understanding what you have an, an advantage of. And I'll be honest, I'm not the best writer in the world. I'm probably bottom 10%. Right? Like, not, but okay. okay. Yeah, but you get it. Like, I'm pretty bad. <laughs> I'm not, uh, let's just say Stephen King. I can assure you, you're not the bottom 10%. Fair enough, so. fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Top 25%, sure, whatever. But like, let's just say Stephen King isn't calling me anytime soon for my, <laughs> to help me write his, to help him write his next novel. Like that's not, it's not my thing. It's not what I'm good at. So like for me doing a blog and process by elimination, starting with what you don't want to do helps a lot. So I looked at a blog and I just went, eh, not doing that. But for Seth Godin, that was perfect. For Tim Urban, the the founder of Wait But Why, Perfect. Jia Jang, right? Perfect as well. Podcasting. And I looked at podcasts. I was like, oh, I'd be pretty good at podcasts. But it's so hard to grow a podcast if you don't have an existing audience. And it's pretty saturated. Maybe the, I, I should do a podcast, but not the priority now. So I kept going through each one. Instagram, I was like, well, I want to share really long thought leadership. Is this where I'm going to be in 10 years? Is Instagram going to be that? I mean, Instagram's important. All of them are. But it's all about priority. Didn't work. So I just kept going through the list. And I was essentially left with podcasting or YouTube because that was the best way of sharing public speaking information. And then I said, wait a second, no one's creating high quality videos on YouTube that are like super HD, super well-made, 
really well structured and put a lot of thought into it. So I just went, that's that's the platform. Even if YouTube is saturated, I know if I play this game for 10 years on YouTube, unless something bad happens, I will win on this app. So I went all in on YouTube first. I really ate for like a year or two years. I really, and I'm still learning YouTube. It's a, it's a beast. But now that I understand the content creation game, I'm able to bring that onto everything else. So that would be my recommendation for all of us is one, think of your brand in 10 years, not one. Number two, pick a, an, a, a plat, a pick three thought leaders that you really admire and see how, what, how they, what actually made them successful. And then number three, pick one platform that you're sure as certain that you can dominate and go all in on that platform. Brilliant. And the long-term piece is so, so vital because if you have this myopic sort of short-term mindset, then you're constantly evaluating every little thing you do on a daily basis. And Gary Vee says, stop thinking on the daily, start thinking on the yearly. And we're all take that to the next level. Start thinking on the decade, decade level. And, and I think it will change our perspective. It will change, honestly, the pressure we put on ourselves, but also the, the, the thought that we put into what activities we're doing. Because to my point earlier in this conversation, it's, it's really a matter of prioritization and figuring out, and you've mentioned this as well, how do you prioritize the time you're spending on any activity to support you and your business and your goals? And if, if it's not supporting those goals, then you got to say, why am I doing it? And give yourself permission to pivot. Don't become overly wedded. I put out a video today of me interviewing Chris Doe, and he said, most people are afraid or don't change because they're so caught up and committed to being consistent and all the work that they've done to commit to whatever it is that they're doing in their industry, that they're oblivious to the winds of change that could show up. And so as we end this session, I want to say, first, this has been awesome. I, I cannot wait to do this on a more regular basis. By the way, this is me tricking Brendan into doing a podcast, essentially. Even though this is really his idea, as much as it was mine, I did ask him probably a few months back, hey man, let's do a podcast. He is so committed to YouTube that that's where his first interest is. But now that he's here on LinkedIn, this is my workaround to do something in the, in the podcast slash audio video space. I got a good feeling about this. I hope that there's value that people got. I feel that uh, there is absolutely some, some nuggets of wisdom that have been shared in this conversation. And I hope for those listening that you could apply it. Couple uh, housekeeping things is we don't, again, we don't know where we're going, but we do welcome any feedback, including... What do we call this? If it's this is a show that we do on a reoccurring basis, what do we call it? I mean, yes, we both have names that begin with a B, so I'm sure there's going to be a lot of like B squared and this and that, Billy and Brendan. We're open. So what do we call this thing? Number two, how frequently should we do it? Number three, when should we do it? Uh, we did this one starting at about 8 p.m. Pacific, so it's a little bit on the late side for Brendan. So figuring out timing, days, what it's called, and then most importantly, what do you want to hear from us? What topics can we explore? We're happy to go down any direction that you want. And so one of the beautiful things about this is we get feedback from you. And so I want to give Brendan the final word here. And I'm going to ask you, Brendan, where do you see us talking and these sorts of conversations? Why did you want to do this? 
And what do, what inspires you and excites you about this new collaboration working together here on LinkedIn slash YouTube slash Twitch slash anywhere that we do make sure this feed is airing? What's most important to you and anything that you want to share as a, as a last word and then we'll close it down? First of all, B squared is an excellent name. I think we should go with that. That's pretty good, actually. We'll, do, we'll call it B squared by Billy Samoa and the other guy. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> That's right. We'll do that. I think that's going to be good. So we're already locked that in. We're already calling that, or we can get other ideas. But the other piece, you know, I think what's excited me the most, Billy, now that I think about it, it's this idea of accountability. So when I started my YouTube channel, this was right two two and a half years ago, I was miserable for the first seven months because it was just me literally moving a camera, sitting down, presenting forcing myself to do it because I knew there were seven people who were expecting that content who really wanted to hear from me. So I always kept doing it. I really didn't like it. But then when I met, when I had the budget for Danny, my best friend, one of my buddies to do videos with me, like he would do the creative process and I'd pay him pretty good money to do it. Content creation got so much more fun because it wasn't just, it wasn't Brendan filming again. It was, oh, I get to film with Danny. Then we're getting lunch after, but we'd get like 10 videos done. And he would just look at me like, whoa, you're like really good on camera. I was like, oh, really? Like, I just want to get lunch after. I just want to do a good, <laughs> it's right? It's all about the lunch. Right? It's really all about the lunch. But the same thing happened with you because when I got on Clubhouse and I was pretty much alone for like maybe the first 72 hours of it. I was like, oh my God, like this isn't big opportunity, but it's going to be such a drag, like going to all these rooms and hosting. And at the time, most people were solo. But then when I, I messaged you, what was unexpected is you poured into the app. You didn't just say, oh, I'm going to appear once, which was my thought. I thought you were just going to spend an hour a week on it, maybe. You were like, yeah, man, let's moderate every day. But the only reason I had the energy for it, and I know it's reciprocal as well, is because we were accountable to each other. And that's what made us unstoppable. So what's interesting about LinkedIn, especially the live piece, is it brings back the accountability that Clubhouse disincentivized us from keep going with, right, from continuing. Whereas with this, we can bring back that accountability, regardless of what the show becomes. And I, I'd love, you know, to Billy's point, I want to get the feedback as well. I'd love to see where we can take this. But it's the fact that we're doing this together that will force us and essentially make this funder for both of us to actually create content every week and really make this really good and, and then give each other feedback like we always did in a different medium. So yeah, super excited about this. And I've never done lives before this consistently. So it's going to be fun. And I know you're available for lives for anybody that wants to bring Brendan. If you have a live yourself, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be your uh, promoter. I know Brendan is more than happy to join lives and uh, have conversations like we've had today. A couple of last things is we, uh, we want to thank everybody that's been a part of the conversation. Uh, Matt Storm and Nicholas and Liam and Mario. I really appreciated your note as well. And uh, it's so nice to see your name pop up and appreciate the kind words. It was fun to speak at, at UC Berkeley on public speaking. And so thanks, Curtis, as well. And anyone else that didn't get a chance to put a, a, anything in the chat, but, but we're here listening in. Thank you for being a part of it. For anyone that wants to find more information about us, go for YouTube, uh, go to Master Talk and you'll find Brendan's YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe, uh, connect and follow him here as well as on Clubhouse. Uh, for me, uh, please feel free to send me a DM here and, and happy to 
start a conversation if we're not yet connected. If you need help with the podcast, my production company, Podify, helps you with your podcast. So you could just send me a note. I'm happy to share a little bit more about our services or you could go to podify.com to learn more. And then, yeah, we, d- we just really want to have a, a chance to have a, a really organic, free-flowing conversation about a variety of topics. And we're excited to doing this. So whether it's B-squared or not, we don't know, but we hope you will be back for the next one. And until then, please make sure you make it a great one. Thanks for joining and we'll talk to you all soon. Take care, Ron.